Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. I'd like to ask you a very serious question. Now, I don't want you to write me with the answer. I just want you to think about this question between you and God. And that is, what does your relationship with Jesus Christ look like today? Not the day you were saved, not last year, not what you want it to look like, but genuinely speaking, what does it look like with Jesus? What would Jesus say your relationship with him looks like? I'm Debbie Blank, hoping that by the end of this program today, you will have started a conversation with Jesus that will change your life. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. The word engaged usually means to be really focused in on something, like when we're engaged in doing a difficult task or engaged in a meaningful conversation, or in another sense, when someone is engaged to be married. When a couple becomes engaged, we expect to see people who are focused in on one another, their upcoming wedding plans, and their future life together. We know that the Bible calls the Church of Jesus Christ the Bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom, and he's gone to prepare a place for us and a celebration we call the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. As soon as the time is right, he's coming back to take us to be with him forever in his kingdom. Are we as excited and focused in on that future as any bride should be? Or have we let worldly things shift our focus away to something or someone else? Are we as engaged and focused in on our bridegroom as he is on us? Or have we forgotten our first love? What does your relationship with Jesus Christ look like today? Jackie, I love that word engage and what we're talking about today. Because when a couple is engaged to be married, they get married because they love each other. They've spent time together. They've come to know each other. They have common interests. They like to be together. They communicate with each other. And they can't wait to solidify their marriage where a man and a woman come together and the two become one flesh. Well, in our relationship with Jesus, it's very similar. Now, obviously, we don't become one flesh with Jesus, but we become one spirit with him. We do that because of his love for us and our ultimate love for him. That's what a relationship is all about. However, when we talk about love, there's lots of different words for love that we'll discuss in a few minutes. So our relationship with Jesus isn't the emotional love that we would have for our spouse. It's a better love, an unconditional love, an ongoing love that never ends and never fails. So with that in mind, what does God's love look like towards us? Most of us will consider who God is based on who our father was. If we have a good father, honorable, loving, reaching out, taking care of us, then we'll have that kind of an attitude towards God. If we have an abusive father, then we will not have a positive attitude about God's love for us. And another thing is too, what about our religions? Sometimes our religions paint a picture of God that's a religious picture more than it is a true, genuine picture. So we might think of God as very demanding, and you have to do this. If you don't, I'm going to get you kind of a God. And both of those are a wrong perception because the way we understand God's love is through the Word of God, the truth of who God really is. 
I've been a Christian for 49 years now, walking with the Lord and studying the Bible. And I can quote you a lot of chapters and verses of the Bible. But what's most important about my years of being with him and his word is the relationship I've developed with him. Finding out who he really is, what he does, how he treats us, what his heart is for us. Everything about true love. And we see that only in the Bible, not from our fathers or our religion or other people, but in the Bible, we discern the true God of the universe. When you said with, I scribbled that word down because I didn't want to forget that I was so impressed that that's what you had said. It wasn't just being in God's word, it was being with him in his word. And I think that's the key. That is relationship. You're not just reading, but you are enjoying a relationship you're delving into someone's personality, you're communicating back and forth, that builds that love. So it starts out where he loves us and he's drawing us to himself and we respond so that we become attracted to him as well. What does God's love really look like? It's hard to describe. We know the Bible says that God is love. But what is that? It's not a feeling. Instead, what God's love is, is demonstrated in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Consider that. Will you die for anyone, let alone a sinner? I mean, we might die for our kids and grandkids and maybe our spouses, but somebody we don't like, somebody who's an irregular person, somebody we might even be on the opposite ends with or someone who's hurt us. We wouldn't do that. But Jesus did. And we know from John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's love. True love is when God gives. And that's his heart to give to us. And it was before we ever had any feelings towards him that he did this. 1 John 4, 10 reminds us that in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So consider how Jesus came to this earth, leaving the majesty of heaven to come and be a human being and suffer all that we suffer as humans in our bodies. But in his case, he was taunted. He was chastised. He was criticized, he was beaten, he was flogged, he was crucified, all because he loves us. That's certainly an intense thought to put into our minds of all that Jesus gave us. He's the creator of the universe. He's God Almighty, he's an eternal God, and yet he chose to give of himself. That is true, unconditional love. It's hard to imagine being loved like that. And yet we are when we submit to Jesus. But he did all of that while we as humankind were still sinning against him. We didn't even know what we were doing. We didn't have an understanding of anything. And he came so that we would have that, so that we would understand what was going on, what was wrong, and he would be the cure for that. And he would do that all before we really accepted him. When we talk about love in the English language, We say, I love my dog, and I love pizza, I love my husband, and I love God. Well, we can't compare those four different kinds of love because they're totally different. So I want to go through with you five 
Greek words for love. The New Testament is written in Greek, and most of what we're reading today is from the New Testament. So when we talk about love, we know there's five words, not all in the Bible, but there's five words. The first one is eros. Eros is a sexual love that two people have, hopefully in a marriage, but unfortunately in this world outside of marriage. It's not mentioned in the Bible, but it is a Greek word for love. The next one is storge. And storge is a familial love. That is the love that you have for your husband and your children. It's a family-based love. That also isn't mentioned in the Bible, except one time when there's an A in front of it, which makes it a negative. The third one is epithumia. Epithumia is generally translated lust, not love, like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes in 1 John 2, 16. And that's usually a negative lust, a lust over something that you really shouldn't have a lust for. So that's not a love that we really want to consider either. The two main loves that we see in the Bible are phileo and agape. Phileo love, obviously, is Philadelphia. We get that name from that word phileo, which means brotherly love. That's the relationship that we have with one another. And that is a relationship that is based on I love you because you love me. Or I care for you because we have mutual interests. We have things in common that bring us together. But the problem with phileo is if you do something against me, then I can give up that love. And that certainly isn't the kind of love God wants us to have. He wants us to have agape love because that's his love. Whenever the Bible talks about God's love for us, it's talking about God's agape love. And agape is unconditional. No matter what we do, God will never stop loving us. And as both of us just said, he loved us even when we were unlovely and sinners. But he will never stop loving us. His unconditional love is really that way because he's the author and source of love. He shows us how to love. God is doing in his love what he knows is right for us, even though sometimes not what we want. Like in the Jews' case, they wanted a Savior who would save them from the Romans, where in fact, God knew that we needed a Savior to save us from our sins. So God did what was best for them and for us rather than what mankind wanted. And then consider this, that God called the Jewish nation to himself back at the time of Abraham. Did they always follow him during those 4,000 years? No, read the Old Testament, and you'll see how much they turned away from God. And yet God never turned away from him. As a matter of fact, he tells us in Jeremiah 31, that if the stars and the heavens and the heavenlies and the skies could depart from this world, then he'll stop loving Israel. Well, they can't depart from this world, not until the end of time comes. And so he will always love his Jewish people. And he's coming back for them to reign with them. Well, if he can do that with a group of people who have turned away from him and his commandments, then how much love does he have for us? So when we talk about how God loves us and how we love each other, there's a gap. We don't seem to have the same kind of love for each other as God has for us. How in the world do we come up with agape love as human beings? The only way we do that is to be connected with God. We need to have a relationship with him that is so strong that his love is poured out through us to other people. 
Because as you said, it's not natural for us certainly to love our enemies, to love people who are contrary to us, but it's not even natural to have unconditional love for our friends. It's more of a phileo type of love. But if we will follow Jesus' words in John chapter 15, to abide with Jesus, to have that connection with him, then his love will flow through us. Let's read John 15, 4 and 5. Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. That's that connection we're talking about. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he makes it very clear. We have to be connected to the vine in order to abide with him. And when we abide with him, then his love flows through us to other people. Consider that vine and the branches. If a vine is broken off, there's no way for the nutrients to get to that broken branch and to have it grow and flourish. Well, it's the same way with us. If we break off from the branch, and I don't mean that we leave Jesus, but maybe we walk away from him for a while, we don't have the ability to be nurtured by him and to follow him and to abide in him. The word abide means to remain, to dwell, to stay. That means that we are always with Jesus. This word abide is a verb, And that is in the present tense, so it means continuous, ongoing, abiding with Christ 24-7, staying with him, dwelling with him, remaining with him all the time. Because the more we accept Jesus' love, the more we love him back and learn from him as the vine and the branches, then the more he's able, through his Holy Spirit, to work through us and change us so that we become more like him. Like that life force that flows through the vine and nourishes the branches. If that's cut off, as he says, we can do nothing if we don't abide in him. The branch can't do anything unless it's abiding in that life force that's being given to it. So if a believer is apart from the vine, we do feel like we wither. We do feel like we need to get back. Yes, and that's why John fifteen nine through 11 reminds us in Jesus' own words, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Now, see, sometimes we don't feel that love, but it's not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of faith, of knowing that he loves us. Then he goes on to say, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Now, who doesn't want to be joyful? We all do, especially in this day and age of anger and animosity. Joy is such an important aspect of our relationship with Christ. Remember, joy, J-O-Y, stands for Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. God wants us to have that joy, and the only way we can fully have it is by abiding in Christ and abiding in his love. That's such a wonderful place to be. Like you said, love and joy, who doesn't want to remain there? And yet somehow or another, we end up drifting off at times, and then we lose that. 
I'm looking at Psalm 51.12. It says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. When we lose that and we realize that we've drifted, we can come back to him and we can ask him to restore that in us. David wrote that psalm when he had walked away from God. I mean, we're sinners. That's what the Bible said. We don't do it intentionally most of the time, but we do get disconnected from the vine. And that's why he gives us the opportunity because he loves us so much for forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The problem is Satan gets in there. And when the branches are disconnected from the vine, then Satan gets in and brings in shame and ugliness and God can't love you. Look at what you've done. Look at how you've hurt God. Look at how you acted. God could never love someone like that. So Satan tries to destroy us. But Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Don't listen to the wiles of Satan. Go directly to Jesus. Confess your sins and ask him to fill you, replenish you with his spirit because it's his spirit that shows us his love and the truth. And if we desire a time with Jesus, he will give us that time and that understanding. We talked about how God loves us and loved us first. And so when we love him, it's in response to his agape love toward us. The object of the love needs to respond. That's important. So as we respond positively, then that attraction and that relationship grows. And as it grows, an outworking of that is something that we might call worship. Explain how that turns into worship. Worship means in the original language to prostrate ourselves before God. But really what it means is a dog licking his master's hand. Now think of that. If you have a dog and they lick your hand, what does it mean to you? It means that they love you. They're so excited that you're home. They want to be with you. They're probably wagging their tail and bouncing all over the place because you're home and you are their master and they worship the ground you walk on. That's the way it should be with us and God. We should be so excited to be in his presence. We should desire to have an attitude of worship towards him, recognizing who he is, all of his attributes and his qualities, knowing that someday we're going to be with him forever in heaven and worshiping him, adoring him, praising him for all those qualities and the things that he's done. Part of worship, too, is humility. Because remember, the word also means prostate. And that idea is that we are to be humble before God, recognizing who we are and who he is. And there's no comparison in our eyes, but in God's eyes, he overlooks all of the frailties that we have and loves us. Another aspect of our worship is repentance, asking forgiveness for our sins and forgiving others and asking God to heal us spiritually, purifying ourselves, reviving our spiritual lives before him. That's all part of worship. It's really what I might call a constant honeymoon stage. If we think of the amazing love that we have at our honeymoon, it is just a fraction of what the honeymoon will be like with God that we can have all day, every day. But if we don't have it, if we don't have that joy that comes out of the relationship with him, we can have it. James 4, 7 to 10 explains to us all we need to do to have that worshipful attitude. James says, Submit therefore to God. 
Well, that's that humility, that submission before God, recognizing him that he is our Lord and we are his followers. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's important because the devil is the one who always tries to take us away from God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's the abiding that we've just talked about. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, repent. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. What that's talking about is sin. We're to be miserable and mourn and weep over our sins. And then he ends by saying, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's what God wants us as a humble and contrite spirit. If we turn to God in that kind of an attitude and we worship him in those ways that we've talked about, that relationship with him will grow stronger and stronger every day. Once we understand God's love for us and how important that is, and we see it by faith, and then we abide with Christ and follow his commandments, one of his greatest commandments is to love others. In Matthew 22, 37 through 39, he sums up all the commandments into two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And again, Jesus tells us in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And by the way, each of these terms for love that we're using are agape love. So we're to love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, do men know we're Christ's disciples if we're mean and ugly and critical and doing all kinds of evil against other people? No, they won't see Jesus in us. Jesus is our example. And we're able to love, according to 1 John 4, 19, we're able to love because he first loved us. So our love for others comes out of the love we experience from God, not out of a duty or responsibility. And when we're connected to him, he filters the, the feelings that we might have against our enemies. Like we know that sometimes we have falling out with our friends and we desire reconciliation with them. But with our enemies, we don't care to have any relationship at all. It's God that draws us to that. And so if we're in him, then we can go through him and he fills us with his spirit and what comes out is him and not us. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen before, but I have, where I walk in in the middle of them talking about me, and I have reacted in a completely different way than I ever would have thought I would have acted. I come out with something that's very gracious or whatever, and then I think to myself, well, that wasn't me. <laughs> that's not the normal me. That's a God thing. And yet he's done that, and I marvel at that each time he does it. It is wonderful when he does that. If we stop and say, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus have me do? How can I reach out and touch somebody else? That's the opposite of the way the world is, but that is how Jesus is. Jesus always looked out for others. And that becomes our responsibility and the outgrowth of our relationship with God. Our service for him and our love to others isn't because it's natural for us. It's an outgrowth into our relationship with him. If we want to understand God's love and see what he says about himself and what he wants us to do, we can read the Gospel of John, the book of 1 John, and the book of Psalms. Because all three of those books use the word love 
and abide more than any other book in the Bible. And you know that because you know John's and David's heart. Both of them were men who loved Jesus. John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved because Jesus loved him and he loved Jesus. And the same thing with David. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. Those two understood God's love and they wrote about him all the time. Now, once we understand God's love, we accept it, we live for him, we abide in him, and we love others, then the outgrowth of all that is our service to God. It's not the good works that saves us. It's not the good works that gives us love for God or his love for us. There's nothing we can do to earn God's love. It's always there. But sometimes we tend to work more for God than we do walk with him. So we have to understand that good works are an outgrowth of our relationship. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us that for by grace are we saved through faith, not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no man should boast. So we're saved by God's grace and his love for us, pure and simple, not by anything we've done. And yet Ephesians 2, 10, right after those two verses, says we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, you're saved first, and then the good works are an outgrowth, God's workmanship in us to honor him, to tell others about him, to draw people to him because we are being Jesus to a lost world. So that's an outgrowth of our relationship, our love to God. So I go back now and I'm going to ask you, What does your relationship with Jesus look like today? Do you know he loves you? Are you walking in that faith and understanding of who God is and all the amazing characteristics that we see in Scripture about his compassion and his mercy, his grace and his loving kindness, everything about God that he pours out to you because he's your Abba Father. But he's much better than any Abba Father on earth. When our lives are over, We're going to be remembered by the lives we've touched, not for the things we've done, but we're going to be rewarded by Jesus for the pure service to him. And that service only comes at having that loving relationship with Christ. His love is unconditional, not based on anything we do, not based on any performance. He wants a heart more than anything else. So I'm going to leave you with a couple of verses, Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Is that your heart? Does your soul thirst for Jesus just as if you were parched and dying of thirst here on earth? Is that how thirsty you are for him now? If so, go to him, call to him, tell him, What's going on in your life? Tell him you want to know his love. Tell him you want to abide in him. You want to love others as he commands us to do. And he will help you. He will give you the power and the strength and the guidance to serve him with a full heart. And more importantly, to walk with him. God says in Second Chronicles 16:9, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Is your heart completely God's today? 
That's what he wants. That's what a true, solid, biblical relationship with Jesus Christ is really like. Turn to him today and give him your heart, either in salvation or just completely humbly turning back to God so that you can have that open, pure communication and relationship with him. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.